everybody to the newest episode of penpodcast.com. I'm your host, Matthew Harms, founder of Pen for Hire, where we offer premier ghostwriting and author coaching services. Also the creators of the Pen Podcast, where we sit with authors, writers, writing industry professionals, subject matter experts, and all around interesting people. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by bestselling author, Renee Rodriguez. How are you today, Renee? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Where, uh, where are you calling in from? I am at home, actually, here in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Very nice. Actually, I've got Minnesota. I need Wisconsin. I'm still trying to fill my U.S. map of all 50 states. And even with 300 episodes, I've still got a bunch that I don't have guests from. I'm wondering if they know how to write in those states. <laughs> I don't know. Have you done Minnesota before? I have. Oh, very cool. I don't have Wisconsin. And I don't have Wyoming. Those are my only two northern states, not checked off. Uh, well, uh, Wisconsin, who cares? I mean, we that's a, those are our big rivals anyway, so it's all good. There I'm just go. kidding, Wisconsin. We love you. Well, the season the Vikings are having, actually, it might be your year to finally, you know, kind of flip off Wisconsin. We, we got smoked uh, yesterday. I mean, or the day before yesterday, like 40 to 3. 40 to 3, it was pretty bad. You know what? Dallas Cowboys. It was Sunday, so I didn't follow a lot of football. We're going to pretend that didn't happen. Let's let's jump into amplifying your audience. Um, yeah. If you'd be so kind, tell everyone a little bit about just a little background on yourself, how long you've been writing, what made you decide to get into writing, and then we'll talk about your book. So let's see. My my background's behavioral neuroscience, and and I started in change management a long, long, long time ago. Actually, I started in sales door to door as a cookware salesman for four years through college. Probably the best experience I ever had. And that introduced me to the world of personal development, you know, thinking about persuasion, selling, but the whole concept of, of really trying to get better was, you know, through the world of door to door selling. And then when I graduated, went to school for a change management consulting firm that used brain research to deal with massive scale culture change, very hostile work environments, union labor issues. And that's when I was exposed to the realities of behavior change. And you know, being a keynote speaker is one thing, mean being an author is one thing, but you're a speaker or an author, you don't have to wait around for the results. When you're a consultant and you are there, you have to do something and then wait to see if the results happen. And so it created a strong foundation of results-driven work. And from there, you know, of course, you have to learn, you know, I wrote articles and I wrote a lot of different things, but it was a lot of that required me to be a speaker. And so I guess I've been a, a writer for a while. And yeah, I mean, that's basically how it started. So your initial like foray into writing was your speech writing? It, I mean, original writing would have been for articles in, in magazines. Right. And so that would have been the initial impetus. And But I, I wrote a lot of how I spoke. And so that, write, that style works well for articles. It doesn't work for books, which is a very different style of writing. Very different style. So I, I'm so glad you said that because as a ghostwriter, that's one of the big things that we have to wrestle with. It's not so much, can we write you a book? It's, can we one, sound like you and two, not sound like you're speaking, converting that into the yeah. more appropriate format for the, for the reader. Right. And that was, I was lucky enough that Wiley gave me a developmental editor to sort of coach me through the process. I would, I, it took me about three or four chapters to get what the style was is very very different and but once it you got it and, and I, I th i'm a big fan of having 
you know, whether it's a ghostwriter or, and a ghostwriter is almost like a consultant too, as you're writing. Cause you know, there's, I think certain ghostwriters that will write all of it for you. I, I couldn't do that. I, I wrote every word of my book, but I had to have somebody with me to coach me and rewrite and push me and challenge me. And, you know, there's, there's something about having that. And I think that's what you do know, for self-published versus, you know, going the route of a publisher that demands that is a big difference, but I'm a big fan of having somebody like you in your corner to really, really get you to think differently. Yeah, I, I love that because originally it was kind of like we just wrote the book and then I started realizing me, I, I've been writing since I'm a kid. So I just love the whole process. I love everything about it. And when someone is engaged and they want to do some of the writing or they really want to be involved, far be it for me to say, no, that's not how this works. We're happy to coach. We're happy to collaborate. We're happy to literally just be your cheerleader and edit as you go and make sure you get there. So it sounds like that's what right. Wiley offered you. Yeah, and it's it's we 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 work together hand in hand. It was it was literally and, and quite often there's a lot of times a fight. You know, it was like no, that's not what I'm trying to say. And they're like, well, no, we're doing this. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it is. And, and it was a not a fight between two people. It was an argument over an idea, and it was a the, to test the validity of something. To test does it withstand the, the the challenge of tough questions, which I think is something that, you know, the search for truth is the ultimate goal for all of this. And I think to get to that truth, you have to be able to withstand the attack of scrutiny. You have to be able to withstand the attack of tough questions and somebody asking you and playing a strong role of devil's advocate to say, okay, so what, does that really make sense? And even in our sense, when you're talking about brain research, you have to constantly question, is this still even valid? Is this still even true anymore? And I remember sometimes I'd wrestle for two, three weeks over one sentence in trying to figure out, can I even put the sentence in there? And, uh, but even that search makes you better. Yeah, and you hit on it earlier, right? Normally with, as a speaker or an author, <laughs> it's done, you get your content out, you walk away and it's not like being a consultant where you gotta wait for those results. But the difference is with a book, your reader can't be left wondering if you're right or questioning what you said, right? You have to come across as the authority because they can't just reach out and say, so Renee, you wrote here in chapter one, line three, and I don't think you're right. Like, it just doesn't work that way. But that's, that's the other big challenge is when you write a book, you have to say, okay, am I okay with this being written for eternity? Like, I, like forever. This is whether, even if I redo this later, there's going to be a version of this sitting out there somewhere. This better, this better withstand the test of tough questions. It better be true. It better not be plagiarized and it better be researched in some way, shape or form. And that was probably one of the hardest mental pieces to say, okay, hold on a second. Do I believe this? And if this went public to the world, let's say this blew up and I was on a major TV station, not like it's going to happen, but if it happened, would I be okay saying this? And so that, that was an interesting challenge too, but a good one. Yeah, it really makes you look deep inside, right? Because those words you can't take back. Every word that you're going to put on that page has to have significant meaning and you've got to not just it stand the test of time, you be able to defend it for as long as you need to. Yes, yes. And that, that and again, I think that just makes us better. And somebody that, you know, if you're thinking about writing a book or thinking about writing something, embrace that challenge. Embrace the challenge of saying, okay, does what I believe make sense in a broader picture? If I were to get a spotlight on what I'm saying, would this hold a candle or would it blow out right away? Is this an argument that's easily dismissed or is this something that's undeniably valuable? 
And you have to be willing to take that risk if you're going to make any impact. And for someone like yourself, who is who is in the business of consulting and firmly believing, right? And I'm sure the solutions you're implementing or suggesting to your clients, if you don't have that same conviction of putting it down on paper, then what value are you really adding to the folks who are paying you for your professional advice? Yeah. And that, again, it's to your point, it's anything I believe that puts you through the test to say, what do I believe? And can I, can I make a strong case to this is only going to make you better. Even if you're wrong, it'll at least flush out something to say, oh, you know, I used to think this way. Like there was a certain part of the, of the book that we wrote around the concept of the try and brain theory and the try and brain theory. It's the, the whole concept of the lizard brain, right? Where people talk about the reptilian brain and the lizard brain. So I have, I learned about that 30 years ago and I've been talking about it ever since. And the, it's such a powerful concept to understand how the brain functions and how we make decisions. But that theory by Dr. Paul McLean of the National Institute of Mental Health was debunked in the nineties. And here I am talking about it and I'm going, oh my God, it's debunked. But then it led me to a better concept, which was, okay, this might be literally inaccurate, meaning that there isn't, there are, you know, we don't literally have a reptilian brain or a mammalian brain or, you know, we have those brain functions, but that's not how it works, but it's literally inaccurate, but metaphorically very accurate. And so that's why I talk about in the book. I said, what I'm about to share is literally inaccurate. It was debunked here. This is what happened but metaphorically serves as a really powerful tool to understand our behavior. People in business don't need to be you know, neuroscientists, but they can leverage a basic understanding of the brain through metaphor to better interact with people, to be better communicators, to sell more, to influence more, et cetera. And so that, that process of searching for the truth led me to a concept that really helped. I love that. What, since we're kind of there already, what was the impetus behind you writing the book? Like, when did you decide okay. I need to write this? Actually, uh, so Wiley reached out to me after an event that they saw. It was actually the second time they reached out about eight years prior, and I wasn't ready. I, I thought I was. I wrote the proposal; it was eighty some pages, and I didn't have a marketing plan. And you know, you realize when you're writing a book, it's not just about writing it, but you got to have a distribution plan. You have to be able to market the book have an audience, you have to have, you know, relationships with people that will buy it. And I didn't have that, you know, what, it might have been 10 years ago. And when they asked again, this was a different person. So it came twice from the same publisher. And in fact, they were my dream publisher. That was who I really, really wanted to be with. And it was one of those, I said, you know what, this is the time I've got to do it. I talked to my wife and she's, she's the, she runs the business on our end. And she said, no, nope, we're going to do this. And she laid out the entire calendar for writing. She plans all our events and designed it so we had it done it was a grueling time period but it was something that i made in conjunction with my my, my wife and business partner because it was going to take a lot of time energy it was going to take a lot of resources and so it was um it was a pretty big decision but the best decision i've made in a long time and it sounds like if i heard you correctly she really helped you with the discipline of the scheduling <laughs> she ran the discipline and the scheduling. What I'm telling you, I'm at to the point where I'm exhausted coming off of, you know, three or four day training, getting into bed and it's 10 o'clock and she stares at me. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm tired of going to bed. She's like, you didn't write chapter X. I said, I'm tired of going to sleep. She goes, if you don't write your chapter tonight, then it goes into tomorrow and you don't have time to write because you have this, 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 and that. And then you're already one past one chapter and it goes into this. And then the other, we have to have that chapter done by this and you've already done this. And then they're going to cancel the contract. You're like, I'm getting out of bed. I'm getting out of bed. Okay, fine. And I just literally look at her. I'm like, you're cruel. 
and I'd go write the book and I'd be upset for like 10 minutes and then I'd be into it again. And then I get to bed, you know, at two in the morning and be like, oh, I wrote that chapter. And it was like, it all got out of me. And, you know, there's no way I would have done it without her. No way. That's why it's dedicated to her. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. While many writers are capable of writing entire novels without ever planning or getting writer's block, most need some kind of structure. Taking the raw thoughts out of your head and organizing before or during the writing process can drastically improve quality and efficiency. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation on our author coaching services today. And now back to the interview. Ah, I love that. That's like our coaching principle 101, right? I get asked at least 20 times a week, how do you write a book? The answer is you schedule the time and you start writing. The rest you can figure out as you go. Your best advice ever. I agree with you. You got it. And you have to have the support system around you. And it's not just writing. I mean, there are so many avenues of structure of creating a table of contents that makes sense. You know, even the, the, uh, my favorite part of the book is our index because you know, the work we do, people like to reference it and, and everything that I talk about, just go to the index. It's your old school Google backwards search. And so you want to learn about psychological safety, go to the back and hit, go for it, search for it. It's there. That's incredible. So all in, how long would you say from the time you sat down and said you're going to do it to finish, not published, but finish draft? How long did it take you? I'm going to say six months. Okay. Yeah. And it was two months of that were table of contents bickering back and forth. Two months on the table of contents. And then, and that's how I tell people that's how important the table of contents was for us. It was the structure of how we're going to structure this. We have part one, part two, part three, and we came up with sort of the idea the concept and the tools. And so they would say, here's the idea, you know, here's the idea and the concept, here's the structure and the formula, idea, formula, tools. And those are the three parts and within that, all the chapters in it. And you'd think that, you know, you look at it and it's like, oh, that makes sense. But to get to that, it's, it's the sifting through so many ideas and uh, thoughts. Yeah. Especially, I mean, in your industry, organization is even more crucial than it would be on a normal book. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's following a workshop that we do called Amplify. And that's where they saw a keynote on the concepts of influence and, and how we did that. And they, and they said, you know, Wiley was looking for were a combination of somebody who can speak and can write. And they like speakers that can write. They have sometimes writers that don't know how to speak, but if your writer doesn't know how to speak, then you can't get in front of a room and, you know, inspire people to buy a book. And it's hard for you to do content. It's you know, unless you're some, you know, famous person, but it's the combination of speaking and writing to me is, is critical. God. Yeah. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Cause if you can write, if you can speak, but not write, you can always get someone to help you write it. It's yes, absolutely. 100%. So this, this workshop on Amplify to tell everyone a little bit about like, what is the book going to help them do? Who's your ideal reader? What, what's the problem it's going to solve for them? Why should they go out and buy the book? So Amplify is based on the concept of, you know, increasing your influence that's, that influences a science. But being before that, that influence is the most important tool in a leader's toolkit, in a salesperson's toolkit, I think in a human's toolkit. 
And the reason is this. Think about the opposite of influence. You walk into a room and no one notices. You tell a joke and no one laughs. You sell a product and no one buys. You communicate and cast a vision and no one follows. That to me is one of the worst of the human experiences when we feel insignificant, where what we do, what we believe in doesn't have an impact on people. I think it's at the core of when we feel depressed and sad and we feel like we don't, we want to give up. And, and it's the reason is because then you start asking yourself, so why am I even here if I have no impact? And so influence is much bigger than just being able to persuade. It's so much more. So think of the opposite of what I just said. You walk in a room, people take notice. You tell a joke, people laugh. You sell a product and people buy. You cast a vision and people change and they follow and they change their lives because of you and they feel inspired. Now we feel significant because what we're doing seems to have an impact on people. And now we have purpose. And so influence is about really the manifestation of our life's purpose in action in a lot of ways. And so those different elements of saying, okay, I have an idea and the world listens. Now I feel like I matter. And to me, it's very, very profound. So it's, it's looking at that. Of course, the application of it can be applied in leadership, in selling. I even talk about police officers. They need influence to deescalate things sometimes. I mean, unskilled officer, it's, it's hard to watch. A teacher that doesn't have the skills to influence their, 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 their students, a parent needs to influence their children. We need to influence our, bo influence our bosses. People have so many choices. Influence is at the core, I think, of human existence. I never looked at it quite like that, but that really does make sense because you can only get so far with power. Right. People yeah. only do so much because you say to do it and there's implications if they don't. And those results will never quite be at the level of someone actually wanting to do what you're asking them to do. Yeah, you may have authority because I'm your boss, so I'll do because I have to. But what if I was doing even if I didn't have to? And I did it because I'm inspired by you. Like I believe you. And a lot of times right now in today's workforce, we have to influence through other people. We have to get things done and execute that plans through people. We have to get people aligned around an idea and moving towards something. And if we can't do that, we can't mobilize people to action. And that is through the process of influence. Absolutely. And I'm curious your opinion on this, but in order to have influence, do you think someone needs to enjoy what they're doing to it to be able to effectively influence or is anyone capable of influencing well anyone is is capable of influence for sure what i would say you're really asking is does an authentic love of what you're doing matter if i hate my job it's going to be hard it's going to be harder to be inspiring <laughs> let's put it that way but if i it's but i still can influence people because there's parts of my job that i don't enjoy but i still have to influence like there's, there's certain parts that I just, I really don't like. I don't like the paperwork. I don't like taxes. I don't like running a business. I don't like all those things. My wife is great at that, but I still have to do them and I still have to influence through that process. And so I think that, you know, the, and, and I would also say the other piece to this too, is that I don't think the goal is to be happy in, in business and life in general. I, I, and I think happiness is great when it happens. It's wonderful, but I think it, it's bestowed upon us from time to time. Think, think about it from this perspective. Think about it from this perspective. 
you know, if we think happiness is the goal, then we're going to be greatly disappointed for the majority of our life because the majority of our life isn't happy. We're working hard. You know, if you're in the gym, you're typically not happy in the gym. It's you're, you're working hard. You're suffering through those sets. If you're working hard, now you can ho-hum your way through the gym and be happy. Well, yeah, that's great. But if you're working hard, you're, you're suffering at some level. If you're trying to be healthier with you, you're, you're suffering by saying no to all the temptations of the foods that you typically want to eat. If you're trying to be better financially, then you're suffering in the decisions and the sacrifices to not purchase something else and purchase this that you can afford under your means. So, you know, the, the, and I've never had a child, but you know, from what I understand in most parents, women and mothers that the nine months of, of, uh, pregnancy are, are really hard and there's a lot of suffering involved in that, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Suffering can actually be, and should be, a really good thing. Suffering actually makes us, brings us close to reality. It bring, makes us more compassionate, increases our empathy. It connects us to people. It reminds us of the joys of life. It keeps us connected and grounded. And I think it also tames our ego in some ways. And so suffering for the purpose of something, I think, is one of the best things that you can do. Somebody once said that, say, okay, so if the goal is not, not happiness, what is it? I said, well, somebody said this once. I said, if I want to be the one that when the flood comes, I want to be the one that built the ark. Now, that proverbial ark, meaning that flood just equals adversity. And the ark is a way of being of use of some sort. So I think the goal is to be of use, of utility, but more importantly, in the service of others. And so if I can suffer through my life to become useful to the world when needed, I find massive amounts of purpose in that. I think that's such a great explanation and it makes me realize one of the words I like to use when I describe why I, or the ultimate goal of helping other people get their stories out for me, I've never used the word because it makes me happy. It's more about fulfillment, right? It's yeah. not, it's not easy. You're not happy sometimes when that client's not showing up or you're, they're not cooperating, you're butting heads. But when that book is done, there is a feeling yeah. of fulfillment that overshadows all of the pain and suffering you went through. And the more you suffered through it, the bigger the joy at the end. And there's something to that. The more the suffering, the bigger the value. And, you know, even Mother Teresa was, you know, did, you, did you know she had a, like a $28, 29000000 million budget? And yet the homes in Calcutta were poor and horrendous. That's one of the sort of the questionable things of why she's not being canonized was did she create too much suffering? And what she would say and what she believed was that the only way to, to God, the fastest way to God and the way to get closest to God was through suffering and the poor were closest to God. And she would say, why would I, why would I take away their, their closest to the Lord? And now whether I believe that or not, there's something interesting about that concept, right? There's something that I think needs to be looked at when it comes to the concept of suffering. And I think we need to rebrand suffering. It's not being helpless and, Oh, I'm suffering. It's not that it's the sense of hard work pushing towards something, the, the not liking thing. And so the influence, this all came from your question around influence. Do I have to love what I do to be influential? No, but I think there has to be a, a sense of purpose, an authentic sense of purpose as to why I'm doing something. And even though it's difficult, I can still, still do it. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Sometimes writing a book can be the easy part. Taking those raw word processor documents and turning them into visually appealing pages that are compliant with independent publishing standards can be a daunting task. 
don't trust your finished product to just anybody. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get your free consultation today. And now back to the interview. Yeah, one of the philosophical things I've taken away from a client recently is you need to have both sides of any coin in order to fully appreciate it, right? If you're not sad, you won't appreciate happiness. If there's not bad in the world, you can't truly appreciate the good. Yes, 100%. You only know life through its opposite. So if we, if all of our life has always been good, like a fish doesn't know what, what you know, water is until they're out of water, right? And so you know life through its opposite. We know the highs because we understand the lows. We know good because we understand the bad. And the more we can sort of go through that, that up and down of life. And some people right now are going through a major down. And I'm trying to help them say, okay, good. Now embrace what this feels like. Because if you're down now, at some point you're going to be back up. And that's going to feel so sweet. But what can we learn now instead of just spiraling in this? Why me? What's going on? No, no, no. Okay, so what am I supposed to learn here? It's a bigger question. Yeah, this is going to be hard. And this, this, this is, there's something to be said. And I was talking to an athlete about this. It was actually a fighter, a uh, friend of mine. And we were talking about the concept of saying, I, don't, I want to, do I want to go in the ring trying not to get hurt? And the answer is no. I want to go in the ring hoping that this is a five-round grueling match. I hope that they break my nose halfway through it and I have to fight through it. I hope that this is a battle of the worst one ever. If I can hope for that, then anything less than that is going to be like easy. And if I can go in with that mentality ready for that and embrace that, then life becomes so easy if you're ready for the difficulties. I think that's at the core of what David Goggins is trying to get at, is embrace the difficulty as early as you can in the day Make yourself suffer a little bit in the morning. Get the cortisol levels to go up. And so the rest of the day becomes easy. And so that you're not thrown off by a little shift in the wind, a little change of plans. Who cares? This was nothing. And you just move forward. You become resilient. And in psychology, you become much hardy, much more hardy. That really puts in perspective something my, my business consultant drives in my head is you've got to look at everything as how to win versus how not to lose. Yeah, it's a it's a big if you go, it's a big if you go into that octagon saying, well, I just can't lose this fight. Chances are you're going to get knocked out. And who cares? Like, who really cares? Like, so what? Like, I, is it that you don't want to lose? I want I want to be the best that I can. I want to push myself to the max. I think Conor McGregor was just quoted. He says, "At the end, we're all going to lose anyways. We're all going to die. Who cares of a little failure? Let's push this out there." Yeah. I mean, to keep with the sports analogy, then I'll change real quick. If you look at any sport, I mean, yeah, you have some undefeated fighters, but in baseball, hit, getting a hit one out of every three times makes you a, an all-star hall of famer. There is no quarterback that completes hundred percent of their passes. There's no basketball player. It's under, there's going to be some level of failure in everything you do. It's learning, embracing, and then going back out there and putting that into action. Yep. There's no shortcutting the failure. And that's, that's an age old understanding. Like in, to me, what I tell people, I said, okay, so learning something new, we started that as a kid. How many, did you walk the first time you tried? No, you walked and you fell. You wouldn't walk, fall, walk, fall. And the parents go, that's, you know, I guess, honey, he's just not meant to walk. No, but you give them as many times as they need to walk. Now that's as a kid. How about riding a bike? Well, you get on, you ride, you fall, you ride, you fall, you ride, you fall, then you learn. And the older we get, we, we just somehow move away from that. Fall as many times as fast as you can. Fail fast, fail often so that you can speed the learning curve. It's just period. 
I like I did that recently with social media. So I've been in social media on it since the day one, but really got serious three months ago. And now I had been posting for a long time, but I couldn't get any following, couldn't do anything. And I finally decided two years ago that I was going to figure out what was I missing. And I spent two years talking to the best people, getting the right people. And then all of a sudden we said, okay, now I got serious. And in three months of implementing what I'd learned, our TikTok grew to over 470,000 followers in three months. Now I looked at my old account on my Instagram, we couldn't get uh, usage, something was wrong with my Instagram. So I said, you know what? I had 25,000 followers, I'm gonna cut bait and start over. One of the most difficult decisions from day one, starting over. In 22 days, we're at already 14,500 followers using a new formula. And one of our posts already hit over a million, 1.1 million. So, but people say, wow, you did that in 30 days? No, that was over two years, maybe three years of study, hard work, being around people, paying consultants, learning and failing to then go, ah, here it is. And then it went up. They're like, it's not a three-month process. This is a grueling, failure-driven, failure-riddled process that we go through over and over and over again until we hit. Yep, just like anything in life, uh, I, I laugh when people say, "Oh, you know, that you're paying someone so much money for an hour of their time, right? A doctor, or a lawyer. No, you're not paying them for the hour of their time. You're paying them for the 22 years of experience that came before they saw you for that hour." Yeah, I think Jim Rohn says, "You don't pay me for the hour. You pay me for the value I bring to the hour." I even told the client, "I said, well, I said it took an hour. You're going to charge me?" I said, "Well, if you'd like, I can pretend that it took longer and just call you a little later." Or you can have all that time back. And there's a, a great analogy of, of a, uh, an ocean liner that broke down and all the engineers were trying to figure out why this ocean liner wasn't working. And they'd spent two weeks trying to get this thing. Now, an ocean liner that size, you're losing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars by not being at sea. And so they finally gave in and they called the consultant to come in and take a look at it. So the guy drives up in his pickup truck and he goes down and looks at the engine, says, okay, I'll be right back. Two minutes later, comes back with a hammer. Looks at the engine, goes wham, and he hits it on the engine. He goes, okay, try it now. And lo and behold, the engine starts. And so he goes, he goes, just, uh, I'll send you a bill. So he sends a bill for $10,000. And the accounts are looking at this thing saying he was here for 10 minutes. So they go, we can figure, figure out what he's charging us for. Maybe we missed something. And he said, so they call him up, say, sir, can you, uh, you know, thanks for coming out, but can you give us an itemized uh, understanding of the receipt here for $10,000? You were here for 10 minutes. He said, yeah. It's simple. It's $100 in labor to know to swing a hammer. That's $9,900 to know where to hit with a hammer. That's what took years of learning, of trial and error. And people can get upset that it costs $10,000. Or would you rather spend $10,000 and it's spent three weeks? But at least you, but at least they worked hard for that $10,000. No, it's a different paradigm we have to live under. Value is first. Absolutely. So speaking of value, I know just about time, but I, I want to go here with this last question. So from a value perspective, have you what kind of difference have you noticed in your business being a published author of a best-selling book has made for you? You know, the, the concept of ethos, uh, I talk about it in the book, it's your credibility, it's your character. And, you know, the, we, we take good photos, we get photo shoots and websites and you build a brand because it builds your credibility and it makes you feel more substantial. And there's certain feathers in the cap throughout your career that really, truly help advance that. Working with different clients, wins under your belt, 
and you know writing an article is great and of course writing a book is a good one and to me there are th almost three levels one is you know writing a book but then there's writing a book with a publisher and a respected publisher and then writing a book that actually hits a bestseller list and so those three elements have served very well in our favor in the sense of getting more attention more podcasts when we were in fast company forbes chief executive magazine inc magazine investors business daily so we got picked up by a lot a lot of different bigger podcasts and our speaking engagements have has obviously gone up and also our fees have gone up and so it it helps all across the board but it also helps with having something to talk about after a speech and so people come up and they you know want an autograph of the book so then there's a conversation that happens there it's helped obviously in our social media so having a book that performs well that's written well it's not just a book to get one done to say you've written a book but it's actually to add value through it has dramatically changed the trajectory of our business and our, our, uh, our my life in, in business. Fantastic. I love the hearing that. Uh, Renee, please tell everyone where um, where they can find out more about you, your website, Instagram, social media, best ways to reach out and contact you. Yeah, the best way to find me would be on Instagram. It's and You can go to my website. I think it's right here. Meet Renee, M-E-E-T, Renee, R-E-N-E.com. -E -E and Instagram would be learn with Renee learn with Renee, R-E-N-E. And so those, I do a video, sometimes two videos a day that they're all educational, 30 minute, 30 seconds to one minute, uh, one concept on either body language, it might be on influence, how to speak with more authority, a sequence that all tips that are actionable and we do one to two a day. So it's, it's extremely valuable. It's, there's no fluff in there. And uh, so yeah, follow us there. Incredible. So for everyone listening, you just spent this time with Matt Harms of Pen for Hire and Meet Renee, amplify your audience, meetrenee.com. Please head over, support, buy the book, reach out to Renee. There's no better investment you can make than in yourself. And what, what Renee is doing here with just giving you tips, tricks, confidence, proven science behind improving what you do every day. Don't make the mistake of waiting today. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Any questions that weren't answered on the show, or if you just want more information, you can always reach out to me, Matt at penforhirenyc.com. I'm happy to point you in the right direction, but otherwise I will be heading over to make sure I follow, uh, learn with Renee on Instagram, add to that follower count and hopefully find out some of his tips and tricks. Renee, thank you again so much for taking the time today. It was my pleasure, Matt. Thank you. And you're doing good work, my friend. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Everyone, Renee Rodriguez, we'll catch you all in the next episode.